Hello and welcome to the third episode of Grit, a podcast about persevering and betting on your dreams. I am Aarti Vora and in this show I have conversations with some incredible Indians who have gone against the grain, taken risks, overcome adversity and have never given up on their dreams. In this episode I interviewed Ruchika Sachdeva, the founder and creative director of Bodice. Ruchika started Bodice right out of fashion school in 2011. With a little bit of serendipity and a lot of hard work and perseverance, she built her brand from ground up to become a global fashion force. Bodice is one of the few Indian fashion brands to champion sustainable fashion with their commitment to designing, sourcing and packaging consciously. I'm incredibly inspired by her passion and drive to constantly push the envelope and design clothes that empower and celebrate women every day. Ruchika's creative genius earned her the 2018 Woolmark Prize, an award previously won by Yves Saint Laurent and Karl Lagerfeld. She was also named Vogue India's Designer of the Year and on Forbes India's 30 Under 30 list and on the Business of Fashion 500 list. I hope her story inspires you to take a chance on your dreams and evaluate how sustainable your wardrobe is. Remember to subscribe to our podcast and follow us along on Instagram at @getbyakivora. I hope you enjoy the episode. And I'm super excited because I kind of stalked you a lot um for disclosure and I I, I you're just brilliant. I love everything that you put out there from your clothes to all of your interviews. So thank you. Thank you. I mean uh, I try to be as honest as possible. I read that you started off at Pearl Academy in Delhi, and then you moved to the London College of Fashion. Yeah. After so you started Bodice right after you graduated in two thousand and eleven. Uh yeah, I ended up uh, starting Bodice in two thousand eleven. It was uh, a couple of months after I graduated actually, and uh, I graduated in uh, sort of October. October two thousand ten, and after that, I started Bodice two thousand eleven. Was that always the plan when you were studying at school? Did you always have this vision to start your own company, or did you? Uh, no, no, I I didn't think that I could. You know, I didn't think I had it in me, and uh, it was never really the plan. It 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 happened, and obviously, I'm the kind of person who. Um, makes a lot of plans based on the kind of opportunities that are coming up and then uh, sort of have that faith in myself that I'm going to make it happen eventually so that's kind of how this happened so after you came back to delhi you moved back to delhi from london how yeah. did the whole concept of bodice come together i had somewhere that you used to make clothes for your friends is that is that how it started yeah. so i used to make clothes in london right so london's not the easiest city in the world it's very expensive and i went to london uh, it was my first ever trip outside of india like i'd never stepped out of india we never used to go for international holidays or anything like that my dad had gone a few times for work but that was it like none of us really had any exposure outside of india so it was the very first time i stepped out yeah wow and so you came back and how did it go from being sort of a i don't want to say passion because it is your passion but how did it go from being you um designing clothes from your friends to becoming a brand and then starting it where did you get the capital from or yeah. 
how small was it and then how how did it grow from there yeah so now this brings me back to your question actually that you asked me i kind of got lost there so i was in college and uh, a lot of uh, in london we used to go to second hand shops and vintage stores you know the kind of places where you can get clothes for cheap but at the same time uh, you know look cool in a fashion school so but a lot of those things wouldn't fit us properly or they just be um, you know have some wear and tear that needed to be fixed so i in order to make some extra money what i did was that i started to do alterations for those and of course alterations don't have to be like when you're in a, when you're in a design school they don't have to be like oh just make it shorter it's like if i want to make it shorter can i add a pleat here can i add a couple of pleats of gathers to the waist so you almost end up uh, changing the design a little bit so that's kind of how it all started um now going back to your second question how did i get the capital i didn't really have the capital so in the beginning i had a graduating collection and uh, that is the collection that i sent to lakme fashion week because they used to have a thing called gem next they still do have it um and uh, i wasn't expecting anything it was just that our teachers were like you should do something with your collection you know because as students we don't end up doing something with our dissertation or our final collection you know we work so hard on it we pretty much take a full year working on it and then we don't really end up doing much about it so i was like okay i'm going to send this collection to a few places see if i can get some funding some money blah blah and then i got through the gen next thing i got a call one day and they're like okay hey why don't you come to india and just do this show but i was in london i was working and i was like this is strange like how am i going to leave everything and go to india and so i asked a couple of my friends back home and they were like are you kidding me like it's a big deal nobody really gets through to gen x especially after graduating like i hadn't even graduated by that time usually people who had their brands got it like i didn't even have bodice at that time and uh, so i was like okay i'm going to go i'll just do this show as it seems like a great opportunity and then i'll come back and i'll do what i'm whatever i'm doing it's just one show will be a great experience but of course when i got there i realized that oh it's like a serious fashion week like it's one of india's you know key major fashion weeks and there was a student you know with my collection um and i realized that i could actually do business there because they they have stalls and you have buyers and you have like all leading press from vogue to l everybody and the collection was very well received i got interesting uh, media exposure press exposure on top of that i got some orders and uh, then again i was like okay i have this order maybe i'll just complete it and then i'll go back to london and i'll do my thing um it's not very difficult to start a clothing label to be honest all you need is a sewing machine you don't even need it in house you can outsource it you know there are tons of tailors we're very lucky in india that way we have access to amazing talent you know when it comes to stitching and tailoring so i used that and uh, then i just completed those orders and one thing led to the other i never ended up going back to london and i was like okay i think it's time to give it a name you know set it up as a business so the next year in may is when i finally registered bodice thought of a name and uh, yeah that's how it started out of curiosity what inspired the name bodice where did it so i wanted something which 
you know, goes back to the basics because one of the gaps that I saw in the market when I started was that everything seemed uh, like it was a dressing occasion. It was beautifully done, but nothing really was something for the woman who wanted to buy and invest in design clothing, but perhaps for a meeting or, um, you know, for an important work lunch, right? You can't, it was mostly oriented to the wedding market. Mm-hmm. And uh, so for that, keeping that in mind, I had to basically go back to the basics, you know, and look at the fundamental. And bodice is actually the most basic lock of pattern making in its own science. So that's where it all starts. So I thought that the name was had a nice synergy with what I was thinking. Kind of going off of that, did you, I, I know the word disrupt is used a lot in many different industries, but I almost feel like you disrupted in a way because at the time, like you said, it was all very maybe ostentatious and blingy and, and meant for different occasions, but your clothes are so timeless um, and beautiful, might I add. Um, but did you feel, was there any adversity there or did you feel like there were times where your clothes weren't like received very well or you felt like you had to sort of hard sell them in a way? Um, so I think the thing was that uh, they were well received, but there wasn't a retail structure around that kind of a product, right? By that I mean the stores weren't really used to taking a risk on that product. Because what happens, how do people buy? They buy it based on uh, sales analysis. You know, let's buy more of what's being sold. So it took a little bit of risk taking from that point of view. So I had to be like, okay, why don't you take this and then try it for a month. And then, you know, I had to know a lot of that. You can pay me if it sells sort of a thing. The advantage is that I was, uh, at that time, the advantage that I had was that I was a young, you know, kid and my friends weren't really making a lot of money anyway. So it's not that I needed a lot of money. I wasn't looking at it from the point of view of like, like how I look at it right now. Like now it's a business for me, right? At that time, I wanted to I wanted to make a product that nobody else was making. As a creative, I wanted something that empowers women. I wanted something that they feel celebrated every day versus just being celebrated on an occasion, right? So my vision was a lot more important to me at that point than... Uh, than uh, sorry, I'm just going to quit this because you heard a notification. Yeah. Um, so my vision at that point was a lot more important to me than selling. Yeah. Still, I have to be honest, but I found ways around it. Did you get artisans around the country that said no, or were there, um, were there department stores like you spoke about or people that that you were trying to get to sell your product who said no? And how did you, how did you voice that out or how did you? So if you go like a little bit more into that story, I would, I would love that. Sure. So obviously things were challenging, right? Uh, not artisans. artisans. Artisans are mostly usually very humble and they welcome all the work you give them. But it's more, mostly like uh, some big suppliers because you need to work with both, right? Maybe you need to get something. You need to work with big and small people. Um, and that's where you can face a bit of resistance because they're busy. They can't. They don't have the time to entertain you. They can stereotype you into some particular category that you you feel angry about. And I think persistent goes a long way uh, when it comes to things like this. It's really just persistent, uh, being persistent about things like this, right? Not giving up, not 
hearing no as an answer and just being like, okay, maybe this guy doesn't get it. I'm going to look for more people and then come back to this guy also when I'm, when I'm more like, you know, in a position where I can perhaps prove him wrong or just, you know, if he's, if he's just being a little narrow-minded and can I open his, open his point of view to like perhaps be more welcoming to people like me, right? Um, so it's just persistence really. And, uh, Proving yourself, perhaps sometimes it has to be more done through actions than words. I think actions go a long way. Um, yeah, you know, it's that. And of course it was hard, like right from the beginning, it's not easy, right? Like when you're an independent brand, you're trying to make a product which is not so prevalent in the market. I'm talking about times where we didn't even have uh, sort of bigger brands that did the marketing, you know, for this kind of product. Uh, but of course, there's pros and cons to that as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was tough. It still is tough, you know, because we're still independent. And as you know, it's not easy. But again, we are here to persist, you know, and we do the best we can. <laughs> Did it become easier to persist in some ways? And to sometimes I feel like I feel embarrassed sometimes when I have to keep nagging someone for something that I want. So now the thing is that of course you don't wanna you don't wanna bother anybody so much. So there's a there's a line to that. There's a thin line, you know, where you stop and you understand that okay, this is just the person genuinely doesn't have time. The person's genuinely busy. The person genuinely feels like it's too early, you know. Uh, so all of those things are true as well. So I think there's a balance. But at the same time, if you're gonna not persist because because you're overthinking, that's not a good thing. So I think there's a thin line. Right? Some people are genuinely busy, so they need you to remind them. So it goes both ways, right? So you need to see whether they are busy and they've forgotten about you or you're or they're just you know too busy and not interested, right? So it's it's like a balancing act between the two. Yeah, this is this is great. My thesis advisor used to keep telling me magic manage, manage up. Oh my god, I've lost my words today. Manage up. She was someone that's really busy and I would then feel really embarrassed yeah. not go to her for three weeks and then finally found the courage to just like knock on her door. Guys, please remind me because if you don't, I'm going to forget about it. It doesn't mean that I don't want to, but please you bothering me is you reminding me, you know, and that saves my time. I don't have to set up my own reminders. So I, I like it. And for sure, it's sometimes literally just because the other people are busy and they have a lot to do and you're not the center focus point of their life, you know? And <laughs> you're just reminding them, not bothering them. Yeah, I think we as women, I feel like we have this, we confuse, we tend to confuse reminding someone with bothering someone. Um, um, we're also very emotionally intelligent, you know? That's why we do that. We care. We actually are empathetic. So I feel that those qualities are great because if you start to empathize a little bit more, you'll realize actually this person is genuinely busy. And can I can I honestly and politely just send them a subtle reminder and see if they have time for me? That, oh my God, that like clicked for me finally. I was like, ah, I don't know if I should email these other people because I've been trying to find uh, more cool people like you to come on the show. And sometimes I... I don't know where to draw the line sometimes. So again, apologies for sliding into your DMs, by the way. I meant to say that before, but <laughs> thank you for responding. No, no. I mean, uh, like I said, honestly, it was literally because um, you get 
quite a few DMs and not always do you end up, you know, looking at all of them, not because you don't want to, but just because, you know, life takes over. But when you do, and I saw your profile and I think, congratulations on what you do. You're so young and so talented and I'm so excited to see what comes out of, you know, your future and your career. And yeah, it's an honor to be here. That means a lot. There's always this pressure for people in the fashion industry, especially, but anyone, anywhere to follow someone else's path. And, and something that I really admire about you and all of your connect collections are that they sort of forge their own path and that you don't really succumb um, to doing fashion shows if you don't feel the need for it or marketing your clothes in the way that most people do them right now. And so how do you stay true to yourself when there's all this noise around? Um, mm what goes on through your mind and like you mentioned you have this vision but sometimes it can be challenging to stay like stick with it so how do you actually do that you know I have a problem actually I overthink and I overfeel when it comes to my work in fact sometimes I should do it this way to be honest because I make things much harder for myself and after a decade of doing things I'm not getting any younger you know I'm not as young as you but I can keep doing it still but it's just that I have a problem. If I suddenly get a feeling that this has been done before, I just don't feel satisfied. And I know that my happiness and satisfaction is by now very important because I end up feeling like, why am I doing this? I end up questioning it a lot, you know? So I go through that existential crisis if I'm doing something which is already done. So I think it's more of a problem than an advantage, to be honest. It's <laughs> only an advantage. My mom keeps yelling at me to have the same problem. And she's like, you need to, you need to just be satisfied for once. And I was like, no, 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 no. No. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I have the same problem. Like if I'm not satisfied, which comes hard, you know, because uh, I question a lot, then I just don't do it. And it might take longer but I know that in the end, I'll be happy, which is important. It's like a blessing and a curse, you know? It just drives yeah. you forward, but sometimes it can be your own biggest yeah. But you in terms of like dealing with criticism, because I know people in creative fields, especially everyone faces, if you start something, everyone sometimes has an opinion about it. But mm-hmm. did you ever receive criticism in the beginning or even right now? And, and how, do you, how do you deal with that? Or how should other people deal with that? Well, again, I think the way I was brought up was a very critical upbringing, very typical Indian critical upbringing. So I'm very good with taking criticism. By that I mean it doesn't deter me. It doesn't really bother me. I look at it. If there's something to learn from criticism, I actually take it. If there's something that I think is not making sense, I leave. In fact, there's a very nice saying that my mom used to tell me when I'd be like, you're so critical, you know, it's not good parenting, you know, I'd say all of this to her. And she'd she'd tell me a doha by Kabir, which is actually like, nindak ninda na kare, which means that people who are trying to criticize you are actually not doing anything wrong. In fact, and the second line basically is something like, bin bin sabun pani bina, they clean you. What they're trying to say is that by being really critical of who you are, they're actually pointing out things that you would not want to point out in yourself. And there's something to learn from it. And I'm not saying that you should always learn from that criticism. Sometimes it's baseless, right? So then that comes from maturity and then perhaps having some sort of belief in yourself saying, okay, no, this is what I, I can see where it's coming from, this criticism, and then I can sort of, you know, sift through it and then take what I need to and just 
leave what whatever I do need from it. So I think a combination of these things helps me deal with criticism. Is it something that 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 you grew with over time? I guess in yeah, it time. yeah, I guess it yeah, yeah. No, it's just I'm telling you. My I had a very critical upbringing. I'm not just saying it. So while I was growing up, also with my parents, I had to do the same thing. Not everything your parents say makes sense, right? Like I love them. I love you, mom. But the point is that sometimes they're just trying to protect you. But you still have to do things that you believe in. And I think if you can do the same with the world, then you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, I wanted to pivot a little bit and fast forward a few years, but you've accomplished so much with the Woolmark Prize and then Vogue Designer of the Year, Forbes 30 Under 30. I feel like it can get really easy to be complacent. So how do you how do you keep motivating yourself to push the envelope and like keep innovating? Because every collection you put out there is like better than the previous one. And you, your brand is growing so much and you've expanded. So how do you how do you motivate yourself to keep going? I think uh, having an idea of reality, I think you'd only get complacent with, you know, if, you, if you win some awards and that should encourage you. But if you have, the, you have an idea of reality, then you know there's so much more to, to achieve. And I, again, this comes from a point of view perspective. I guess my standards are pretty high, especially when it comes to work and product and uh, I mean, uh, I have a different problem. I still question am I you know, am, if what I'm doing is there, where I wanted it to be, is it really as good? Because you yes, it's, yes, you get a lot of uh, encouragement because of all of these awards. And uh, I can't thank them enough because there are days that, you know, you want to just give up and they give you a little bit of a push. And you're like, no, you know, I can do this. They believe in me. I need to believe, believe in myself more. Uh, but at the same time, we are surrounded in a world which is constantly talking about so many achievements, you know, that people uh, people are getting. And on top of that, I, I don't mean it from a negative way. I mean it more for like how encouraging it can be when there's so many amazing people doing interesting work. And if you have, if you have an outlook where you are looking at them and being inspired constantly, then you're only going to strive to be better rather than be like, oh, I've got it, you know, I've made it. So I feel that it's an attitude and uh, that's what keeps me going, I guess. Yeah. You mentioned on the tough days you look back at, at some of the awards, but are there any other things that you do on the days where you just, you have to be so innovative and creative and I can't even imagine what a career like that would be. I would never be able to do it. I have so much respect, but on days where you're just like, I can't do this anymore or you want to give up, what, like, what keeps you going? Sleeping over it. <laughs> just giving away honest, you know. Uh, when you go through a day like that, you just have to go through it, you know. You just have to, I guess what really helps me is not acting or reacting to it. Uh, sure, you have those feelings and, um, you know, they're good days and they're bad days. But I think what helps me, I think this is more from, because maybe I'm somebody who likes to learn a little bit more about spirituality, I do pranayama, and I borrow a lot from that and I apply it into my life. And I think one of the things it teaches you is that when you feel something negative, it's good not to act on it. So I think not reacting. It's okay to feel and it's going to pass. But if you react to it and make a decision which is not going to help you in the future, then that's not something which is very wise. 
So what I really do is I feel it. I allow myself to feel it. I sleep over it. And the next day, you know, we are part of nature. We are built in such a way that if we give it time, we are going to find our center again, you know. I think I'm definitely going to, I'm going to take away so many things from this conversation, but that's one of them. I'm someone who reacts a lot to situations rather than responding. So I'll just like freak out. Um, but it's something I'm really working on. So that's, thank you. Um, that's a lesson I'm going to take away. Um, in terms of, you said that you, we were talking about how you went to these stores and you asked for what you wanted and you asked like, hey, can you take a chance on me? And, and I bet that you have so many incredible lessons that you learned as a young entrepreneur, especially someone who was like rolling with it. And if you had pieces of advice to give to other people like me that were trying to start off their own ventures or just trying to believe in their dream, what, what kind of lessons did you learn? Um, again, this is going to sound very, you know, uh, philosophical, but uh, when you're doing actions, I think it's very good to focus on the actions and not worry too much about the end result. And I know it's easier said than done, but having faith in yourself and having faith that, okay, if not now, eventually I will reach that end result will keep you going. And I think it's important to remember that. It's important to have some patience and not rush into it. You know, like, you know how we're so used to setting deadlines and we're like, I have to achieve this by that time. I think it's important to have deadlines, but it's important to be flexible with that. One of the lessons that I've learned in my life is having guidelines, not deadlines, because then that just helps me maneuver through things and be a little bit more flexible. Because... I mean, we are living in Corona times, right? Like all of our deadlines have gone outside the window. So there is a, there's a lesson to learn from here that it's important to have guidelines. That's very important to have a rough plan. But I have learned the hard way, the importance of not having a very fixed plan and not letting that put you down rather than what's the, what's the point behind having that? So it pushes you, it encourages you to go forward and then you know, be more ambitious and be more driven. But if it's going to do the opposite, then there's no point of that. So I think having rough plans and being okay with being more flexible uh, is a good idea. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, and then I wanted to pivot away from the theme a little bit, but more towards sustainability. And I know that you say you don't label your brand as sustainable, but as someone who's um, conscious about the way that they live, it comes out into your brand. And my question is more along the lines of, is it, do you see the preferences changing or is that something that you still have to fight for and say, hey, we need more conscious clothing and we need to be... Yeah. So the thing is that uh, in the end, when we go out looking for clothing, and by that I mean people, of course, now people care more than ever. But in the end, when people are going and looking for clothes, they're looking to buy something that's going to make them look good, you know, and uh, that's going to flatter their body type, that's going to give them a certain confidence. Whether they are asking the question of how it's made is still uh, not happening as much as it should. Mm -hmm. What we need to remember is that with clothing, we don't just need to look good, we also need to feel good. And feeling good comes from uh, questioning how it was made. You know, what was the impact of that garment on people who made them? Because ultimately, that is going to have an impact on me who's wearing them. 
And I think that's very important. Is it happening? Not as much as it should. Is there a shift? Yes, there's a massive shift. And I think uh, everything takes time, you know, but this is something that we kind of have an urgency around. So I feel that um, more and more it's becoming a matter of urgency. And I, I hope it changes faster than it is. Is that something that you feel that you need to advocate for? Is that something that you, that you think will, will run its own course? I would advocate for it, uh, but I don't know if I'm doing enough. You know, I would advocate for it if that was the only thing I was doing. I think it requires, this is such a sensitive topic that it requires your 100%, you know, as an advocate. But having said that, uh, I'm doing the best I can, you know, through my company. And this is something that I talk about as well. If you're a conscious human being and you got a lot of criticism for doing five things right and two things wrong, you're going to probably leave those five things as well, right? Uh, and I think it's important to not be critical about like people who are trying their best to perhaps eat green, you know, look at certain things because sustainability is a wide spectrum of things, right? It's not just the environment, it's social, it's, it's a lot of things combined. It's longevity, it's biodegradability. So it takes time for people to learn. So I think it's important for us to push for it, but at the same time, be kind. You know, and I think you need the kind of person to advocate who's really, you know, there's a certain personality <laughs> who can do that better than me. And I think, uh, I think I let them do it. But at the same time, what I believe in is that if you feel like even you as a person, if you feel like you're doing 80%, do it. You know, don't stop because you feel somebody's going to come and criticize you and be like, why are you not, you know, why are you wearing the you know, perhaps contact lenses, you know, that they use synthetic because, because it's like, it's like, you're going to probably be like, fuck it. You know, I'm not going to even do that. And that's not the point. The point is to encourage you to do as much as you can. And that's the philosophy I come from. That actually leads in really well to, to my next question was as someone who is constantly flooded on social media with these fast fashion trends and hey, this is cool now and that's cool now. I'm someone who's trying to change my wardrobe to become, to make it more capsule or more sustainable and and timeless. And so for people, like you mentioned, that we need to ask different questions when we're going shopping. So what are materials or what kind of questions can we ask when we're going out shopping? Yeah. So when you're going out shopping, I think there are quite a few questions you can ask. Number one, obviously, is where I am going shopping, right? What is the brand? What are the value systems of the brand? What are the ethos of the brand? Where do they produce? Like I said, it's very important to look at the social and environmental aspects behind sustainability, which means that uh, are they transparent and vocal about how they're making things? You know, who are the people actually making things there, you know? And the second thing that you can look for, so basically you need to look at the value system uh, of the brand and the ethos of the brand. Um, if you can go for something local, uh, then that ends up being more, and smaller companies, then obviously it ends up being a little bit more uh, thoughtful from your side uh, as compared to a bigger company because it's very difficult for you to track, you know, what is a big company doing. Uh, besides that, looking at the content of your product, which means what is it even made of? Of course, when it's synthetic, it takes much longer. It doesn't biodegrade, right? Uh, if it has plastic content in it. 
So when you every garment is supposed to have a label, it's supposed to say where it's made. So that's a mandate. But I don't know how many times when we go for shopping, we actually look inside the garment and see. It's it's a rare habit, you know. A lot of times you don't do that. So I think inculcating that habit, looking at the label and seeing what is it made of. Is it synthetic or is it non-synthetic? I would totally go for non-synthetic. You know, some sometimes if if a company is using sustainable products, they are going to write about it because these days it's a trend, right? Sustainability is becoming a trend. That's great. I love it. Like I love it when things like this become a trend. The more people do it, the better it is. So all of these companies are going to advertise if it's something which is consciously made. So why not go towards those things versus things which perhaps have more synthetic content in it? It's not good for the earth. It's not good for you because we're part of nature. So it's best to stay away from that. Uh, then, besides that, it's about dyeing. You know, if you can find something which is craft-related or natural dye, then you know that you're going to be supporting a community also at the same time, right? In India, we have tons of artisans and craftspeople, and right now. They're having a hard time, you know, because uh, even big businesses are struggling. So with them, who's going to give them work? So if you get something which is more craft, uh, if you can feel like it comes from a place of craft, and you can see that it's perhaps naturally dyed or is made by hand, you know that somewhere indirectly or directly you are contributing to that artisanal community. So that is something you can look for. And then again, it comes down to longevity. You know, look at something, see how many wares you can get out of it. Because if you're going to get something which is which is made sustainably, sustainably, made consciously, uh, you know, is coming from a craft cluster from a company which is conscious, but then you're going to wear it once and throw it, then all of that loses meaning. So it's very important that when you buy something you try not to throw it, which means that you plan to keep it for a long time. So you think about the longevity of the product. So I think these are basic key things that someone can look look into when they're going to buy things. Also, like, can you style it in many different ways? Is it something that you're only going to be able to wear with one pant? Or is it something that you can wear with a skirt, you can wear with a pant, you can, you know, you can layer it. Can you get many more wears out of it in different ways? Is it versatile? You know, can you wear it in the day? Can you wear it in the night? So basically, all over thinking about the longevity of that garment. It's actually really helpful because it's making me question everything that I have in my closet and, and I'm embarrassed. I'm trying to be better, but I think my losing It's not easy, you know. And in fact, we are working on something where we are pivoting. Maybe I'll tell you when we're off record and uh, get some uh, advice from you. But we're working on a value-added service like this where we can help people um, work around their wardrobe better. Keep doing all this in I'm excited. Thanks for listening to that episode. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us along on Instagram at Goodbye Akibora.